are trained musicians, or perhaps, especially when you were younger in life, perhaps um, you took a serious stab at learning to play an instrument. If that's the case, one of the things you learn to appreciate and you're talked about to is the importance of the instrument being in tune. Now you can play whatever instrument it is when it's out of tune, but if you have any kind of an ear at all, you can just sense, you can feel, and you can certainly hear that something's not right and it's just grating. And when it's been properly retuned, there's a sort of a, a sense of contentment that comes because now this thing is operating the way it was created to be. And I, I believe that this is what's going on in the book that we're going to begin to study for the next six weeks, The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon. I think that there's a retuning going on in this book from the way things were. And what God does is he makes a statement about the redemption of sex, sexuality, and marriage in this book. And so like I said, I've called this series Retune because it's about setting things right when it comes to dating, to marriage, and to sex. And the reason I say redemption is because we've just follow, finished a series of messages in the opening chapters of Genesis. And if you were here for this, you'll recall that in Genesis chapter 3, this is when the first act of rebellion against God took place. When Adam and Eve made a very conscious choice, like we all do, the Bible says, at one time or another. They make this conscious choice to rebel against God. And they say, you know, I want to be God. I want to be like God. I don't want to have to answer to God. And so they rebel and they go and they do their own thing. And immediately what happens, and they've been warned about this, but they do it anyways, there's an alienation as a result. There's a fracture, not only between themselves and God, but between the two of them as well. And the first thing, the first sort of outward tangible thing that is a demonstration of this alienation, this fracture, is in the area of sexuality. And we read about it in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3. It says, once they have rebelled, they realized they were naked, and they go and hide and make coverings for themselves. Now, prior to this rebellion, in the perfectly perfect environment of Genesis chapter 2, we're told that as husband and wife, they were having intercourse, they were having sex, they were naked, and they were not ashamed. But at the moment of rebellion against God, they recognize they're naked, they're ashamed, and they run and they hide. Now skip forward to the Song of Songs. And what we're going to discover is God is making this statement about the redemption of sex sexuality, and marriage. And that despite our sin, despite the alienation and the fracture between ourselves and a holy God and the alienation relationally in terms of human beings, that despite all of, things, despite all of those things, because of the cross of Christ, which we celebrated this morning, 
and remembered, but also just deeply appreciated. Because of the cross of Christ, now a good relationship and a, a vibrant, healthy sex life is possible this side of heaven. Now, because of sin, it's not a perfect one, like it was in Genesis chapter 2. But a good, healthy, vibrant relationship and sex life, a redeemed one, is, pro is possible. And this is so very important because so many people in our world are living with the shame and alienation of an unhealthy, broken sex life. And this is not how God intended it. God created sex, and it's a good thing when it's used the way he's called on us to use it. So a little context before we read the opening verses of this book. This book... Um, the Song of Songs is really a series of love poems. There's probably about 23 love poems through the eight chapters of the book. And it's love poems that are exchanged primarily between Solomon and a, woman, a Shulamite woman. She's identified in chapter 6 as the, chap, as the Shulamite woman. But there's also some observers or some friends that are observing the relationship between Solomon and the Shulamite woman. And they're admiring it and they're making comments on it. It was more than likely written around 5, 965 BC. So almost a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Now, some people will take this book and they choose to understand it as an allegory, which definitely has some meaning. And so the idea is they, they would see um, God or Christ in relationship to the church or the individual believer. But the most straightforward, and I think the soundest way hermeneutically, which is sort of the science of properly interpreting scripture, the most straightforward and the soundest way I believe hermeneutically is just to see this as a love story between a real man and a real woman, probably when they were both really young, and they are either, it depends on the part that you're reading, but they're either right on the precipice of getting married or they're already married. And it's all about, very practically, dating and marriage and sex as God intends it, because he wants to retune what we screwed up in the garden. And so what I want to do is I want to look at some, some qualities that uh, would help us become very attractive to a person that we would want to bring into our life. Remember, before I get into that, that uh, in Scripture, single people are equally loved and equally valued by God. Absolutely. That a very strong case can be made biblically that there is a, a, a spiritual gift of singleness that God gives to some people. But if you're not yet married and you sense God wants you to be married, what are some of the qualities that you want to build into yourself to attract the right kind of person? And if you are married already... Uh, what are the kinds of things uh, that you want to build? What kinds of qualities do you want to build into your life to make your relationship even healthier and even better than it already is? And anybody that's here um, is gay, that's married is going to be game for that. Going to want a healthier marriage. And so there's four 
qualities we're going to look at. We'll look at one or two of them today, depending on the timing, and we'll look at either two or three of them next week. Whenever I do premarital counseling with a couple, which we always do in this church, because a marriage is much, much, much more than a simple ceremony. We do careful premarital counseling because we want to try as best we can to help this couple launch well. So whenever we do premarital counseling or, or, the, or the ceremony itself, one of the things I say, and I'll argue all day long about this with anybody, is that it's more important to allow God to help you become the right person than it is to choose the right person. It's more important in this process to allow God to make you into the right person than to choose the right person. Now, it's important to choose the right person. I'm not denying that. But more important than that is to say, God, would you build into me and would you create in me the kind of person you would want me to be? So what are some qualities to allow God to build into our life in order to attract the right kind of person to be in a, in a relationship with, a dating relationship with, which, which might lead one day to a great marriage. So there's different ways that people approach dating, and, and one of the things that's really common in our culture right now is online dating. And uh, a number of great marriages have come as a result of online dating. I know of a few here in our church. My own sister met her future husband online. There's some really good things about it, but just a heads up, not everything you read online is um, exactly perhaps the way it is. I think often it is, but sometimes I've found people take liberties when they're writing about themselves and describing themselves. So let me just take a little bit of the mystery out of some of the things you might read if you were getting into online dating. So for example, if a woman says she's 40-ish, that just might mean that she's 49995 years of age. If a man writes he's 40-ish, he's probably 56 years old wanting to date a 29-year-old. If a man says he's huggable, that probably means he's 30 to 50 pounds overweight. If a guy says I'm really laid back and close to my family, that means that he's living at home with his mom, he's unemployed, and he hopes you have a great job and can take care of all the little things in life. If a woman says she's bubbly and fun, that might mean that she never shuts up, ever. So we wanna talk, we wanna talk from scripture about some qualities God wants to build into us in order to attract the right kind of person. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Song of Songs. So it's just a little book, eight chapters. So if you want to find it, it's kind of like right in the middle of your Bible. If you open your Bible, you'll probably come to Psalms. Keep going to the right, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. If you come to Isaiah or Jeremiah, you've gone a little bit too far. Song of Songs, chapter one, beginning in verse one, and we'll read, uh, we'll read verses one to eight today. So it begins Solomon's Song of Songs. So let me just stop here at verse two because it's saying beloved. So the woman, this is speaking, the beloved is the Shulamite woman, which we discover later in the book. 
and she's writing about Solomon, and she says this, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. I personally, I love that verse. In fact, I love it so much, I had Debbie memorize it in five different translations. Let him kiss me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. So the friends are observing this relationship, this burgeoning relationship between Solomon and the Shulamite. And here's what they say. They go, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. Once again, she's commenting and she says, how right they are to adore you. Speaking about all of the unmarried uh, women in, in the area. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? Again, the friends are commenting and they say, if you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherd. So just understand that this book speaks very plainly about sex and sexuality. Now, there's nothing at all inappropriate about it, but it's very plain. It's very straightforward. And it's a part of Scripture. This book is one of the 66 books of the canon of Scripture. And it's God's word for us. And so the, Solomon is saying to us, God is saying to us, if you want to attract the right person, the first quality, the most important quality, the one that's over top of all the other qualities that you want to invite God to build into your life is godly character. And we see this very clearly in verse 3. Verse 3, the Shulamite woman is speaking about Solomon, and she says this. She says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfumes poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. What does she mean by this? What is she talking about? Perfume. The perfume in that day, and especially in this setting, would have been a very rare, very expensive, purified type of oil. Now, back then in that culture and in that setting, partly because of the environment, which is very hot, I've been there, it's very warm, and there's a great scarcity of water, but also just culturally. And of course, down through history, this has been true, and it's still true in parts of our world even now. They just didn't take baths very often back then, very, very infrequently. And so this purified oil or perfume was valuable, not only because it was really expensive, but it also helped with the body odor, just quite frankly. And if you were going out in public and you hadn't had a bath in some time, which would have been not uncommon, you would apply this perfumed oil. And she says to him, your name 
is like this rare, very important perfume that affects everything. In other words, she's talking about godly character. And she says, it's no wonder all the unmarried women are crushing on you. They're all crushing on you. They, on him. They like him. They are drawn to him because of his godly character. And character and reputation are two things, of course. Reputation is what other people think about us. And uh, we can't really control what they think about us. They may or may not have accurate information about us. They may or may not be upset with us for whatever reason. And they're going to think what they're going to think. We can't really control that. But character is who we really are. Especially when no one is looking. Apart from God, of course. We often lie to ourselves and think we're all alone. But of course, God's always there. He hears our thoughts. And he sees what we do. But character is in particular what we do when no one's around. And I want you to notice, ladies, but this, of course, is equally applicable to men. But it's just this is the way the story is going at this point. Notice, ladies, that her initial comment, the thing that she's attracted to in him, is not his good looks. She's not turning to her girlfriends and saying, he is such a haughty man. That guy is so cute. I'm just deeply drawn to him and the way he looks. So she talks about this extensively later in the book as he does about her. But this is not the first thing that she comments on. Now there's nothing, notice, there's nothing wrong with noticing how attractive a potential spouse would be. And complimenting them on that. Or if you're married, um, uh, noticing how beautiful your wife is or your, or your spouse is and commenting on that. But this is not the first thing. And the thing that's interesting and the thing that we're going to discover is that, that the kinds of things they're building into their relationship heightens their awareness of each other's physical attributes. And so there's this very, we're going to discover later in the book, there's very grandiose descriptions of each other. Like, it's like major hyperbole almost. And that's because of what they've been building inwardly in themselves and between each other in their relationship. And so, they, in a certain sense, they almost see each other physically through rose-colored eyes, glasses, because of what's going on inside them first. And so she doesn't begin by commenting on how good he looks or his wealth or his power or his success. The thing that draws her right away is godly character. And friends, this tells us something about the Shulamite woman, doesn't it? It talks to us about what kind of a woman she is. And all the other young women or whoever the unmarried women were around, they see this in him as well. He's known at this point in his life as someone who loved God, someone who was seeking after God, a person of integrity, a person of sound character. And if one day you want to have a godly marriage, which if you're looking to get married one day and sense that's God leading, or you are married already, it's the best way to do life. You hear me say that often, but it really is. 
And all of that is rooted in choosing personally to live a godly life, a surrendered life today. And that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just fall into your lap. It's not some kind of an accident. And this is why scripture says, take up your cross daily. Die to yourself and follow me. So that means not only do we celebrate the fact that because of the cross that we celebrated this morning at communion, we are changed and we're forgiven and we have eternal life. But Jesus walks with us every day and he wants to, in a transformational way, change our life incrementally by the power of his spirit. And so we, we, we begin the day by saying, today's your day, Lord. Thank you for my salvation back when I was almost 11. But here I am, 56 years old. Thank you for the day today. And I'm giving you my life today. I want to be on your agenda, on your plan. And I want to live for you. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you empower me to live a holy life? Would you empower me to make choices that honor Jesus? And you know, I sit with people sometimes and I'll hear them say things like this to me. Um, you know, I, I, wanna, I want that kind of a relationship with a Christian like you're describing. But the, uh, the person or the person's I seem to attract, seem to be anything but. And I find out when I get to know them a little bit that they have very different motives and values than me, and I find out they just want to use me for sex. And there can be a variety of reasons for that. And I'm not trying to beat up on anybody here. But I am inviting you, if Jesus is first in every part of your life, it begins to affect the way we carry ourselves. It changes our values. It impacts the places we go. Absolutely, Jesus hung out with irreligious people. But when he was hanging out with irreligious people, they weren't influencing him negatively. He was transforming them. And so as we're following Christ, it changes our values, it changes who we hang out and how we hang out with people, it changes the kind of entertainment we engage in, the way we speak, the way we dress. And when godly character increasingly and incrementally begins to reign in our life, ungodly people, in my experience, ungodly people will not want that kind of relationship with you. And of course, we are committed biblically to only dating and only marrying someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus like we do. This is entirely biblical. I could take you to many places in Scripture that talk about this. And a classic example of it is Solomon himself. At this point in his life, he's on track with God. But later in his life, he begins to make choices that take him off and off track. And he begins to date and marry people who don't have a biblical mindset, who do not have a biblical understanding of relationship with God, and are worshiping other gods. And he pursues relationship and marriage with them. And what happens? It's a disaster. Because he is linking himself in that kind of relationship with people that have principles and values diametrically opposed. And this is why God says, do not do.
do it. And if you read his story later, he gets all depressed. He tries to find value in all the things he does in life. You read about it all in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says it's totally empty. And it's because his values have been corrupted, and he's allowed them, and he's made choices to have them corrupted by getting into a marriage relationship with people that have fundamentally different principles and values. And guess what? Not only is that deeply unfair to God, deeply unfair to you, but it's deeply unfair to them too. Because if God is to be first in your life, that's not going to be the case for them. And so you're going to be asking them to make compromises on fundamental principles of life that they don't agree with. And that's not fair to them. And it's disastrous for you. Or it can be. So I say again, a great relationship which can lead to a great marriage is less about finding the right person than it is about becoming the right person. And when we come to Christ, we are transformed by the living Christ. We're forgiven of our sin. We realize we're helpless to deal with our sin, that it's only based on his broken body and his shed blood and his death on the cross and his resurrection that we can be forgiven and we receive him as Savior and Lord. And then he walks with us each day. And he's shaping godly character in our life. And this in turn attracts godly character. Andy, Andy Stanley has a great little way of expressing this. He says, become the person that you're looking for is looking for. I love that. Become the person that you're looking for is looking for. And it all starts with godly character. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And so Jesus is saying, we see this all through the scripture, we see this as the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, priority one is I'm pursuing Jesus. I'm not first and foremost pursuing a spouse, or even if I'm married, I'm not first and foremost pursuing my spouse already. I am first and foremost pursuing Jesus. And then that flavors those other relationships in a very good way. Nothing wrong while you're doing that with being open to and pursuing a relationship, or if you're already married, trying to make it better, but... We cannot forget first things first. Now somebody says, well, Scott, that's really easy for you to say because you're really happily married, which I am. But let me just say, like a hundred years ago, when I was single and going on dates and in relationships or whatever, getting rejected, things like that, eventually I met Debbie we got married, and after we were married, we discovered a great marriage, not like that, but through lots and lots and lots of hard work. Good work, but lots of hard work. So, so you know, listen to the old dog for a second. It all begins with godly character. It all begins there. Next thing we see, 
is a posture of trust. They, th this couple, we're going to discover, and we're going to start to see it here in the first chapter, but we're going to discover in the coming weeks, as they get to know each other, they begin to become more and more intimate, not only physically, but emotionally, and they become vulnerable with one another. And they begin to open up about their insecurities, which is so important in growing a relationship. And so let me ask you, if you're dating someone or you're in a marriage, are you in a relationship or a marriage where you can actually be honest about who you are? And this is what we're going to discover with Solomon and the Shulamite, where you can actually be honest with one another about who you are. Uh, and, and if the shoe's on the other foot, are you a safe person to be real in front of? We want to build relationships, and we do this by modeling it, as being a person that it's safe to be vulnerable in front of. And if you've ever in your life, with the person you're dating or the person you're married to, abused that position of trust, you need to repent of that sin. Where they've tried to be vulnerable with you, and you used that against them, or you broke that confidence... I think we probably have all done that kind of thing. I have. Ashamed of that. But we need to repent of that and then earn trust. Trust is always earned. It's never just like that. Am I a safe person to be real in front of? So let's see how this plays out. And, it, and it's an incremental thing as well. We're going to see this in verses 5 and 6. Listen to what she says. Dark am I yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I'm dark, because I'm darkened by the sun. My mother's sons, in other words, her brothers, my mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard, and we're going to see this later in the book. This is a euphemism for her own physical body. My own vineyard I have neglected because I was out working and doing hard labor in the field. You know, in our culture, many people, I think in particular Caucasian people, but many people in particular um, want to have a tan of some sort because they consider it attractive and you know they know about the warnings about you know the dangers the relative dangers of melanoma and skin cancer and all that but also at the same time we have to have vitamin d and and so put on the sunscreen when you go out and all that kind of stuff but having said all that many people want to have a tan because it's perceived as being uh, more attractive in the days of solomon as well as other points in history a woman was considered more beautiful the lighter her skin was. And she would have been, you know, Mediterranean area, she would have been olive-skinned, but the lighter her skin, the more attractive she would be seen because that was an indication to them that she didn't have to do hard labor in the fields and in the vineyard, that her skin hadn't been harmed in any way by the sun. And so it says in verse 6, don't stare at me 
because I'm darkened by the sun. And she's saying, you know, I've got sunburned or something like that. And she's insecure about her appearance because I had to go and do all this work my brothers made me. And then she says about her own vineyard, her own physical body, you know, I'm insecure about this. Don't stare at me because I don't like how my skin looks. And guess what? Everybody in this room has insecurities, right? Too much of this, not enough of that. Wish I had given, been given more of this. And the thing that's incredibly beautiful in this book, in the words of Craig Groeschel, he says this, what we're going to see is a man who loves her insecurities away. A man who loves her insecurities away. You see, when you're dating someone, or if you're even in a marriage, especially if you haven't really talked and are not really intimate, We, we, we take that first, you know, little step into being vulnerable, typically, when we begin to talk about our physical insecurities. And this is what she's doing. She's kind of dipping her foot in the shallow end of the pool or whatever. And she's saying, I don't like the way my skin looks. And she's, she, she's testing the waters to find out if it's safe. And this is what we do with one another. And when we find in relationship that that other person is safe to be vulnerable with and that, that they're going to, you know, like me or love me or whatever the case is, despite my insecurities, and I'm loved through those, then, then we work up the courage to begin to share our emotional insecurities. And that's when we're really growing in intimacy. And we're going to discover in the book how to... How to, how to grow more intimately, not only physically. And some people think that the word intimate is only about the physical, and they don't get it. We're going to discover how to be more intimate physically, but also emotionally. And so if we want a great relationship that may well lead to a great marriage, or if we're in a great marriage, into an even healthier marriage, or um, you, let's discover together how to love that person's insecurities away. And I would just challenge you to ask yourself, you know, what can I do to love her, or as the case may be, to love him, so that they could trust me enough to be vulnerable in front of me? And I know that time I wasn't trustworthy, and I'm going to have the courage, and this takes courage, to admit I was wrong and I sinned, and would you please forgive me? And I'm going to earn your trust going forward. What can I do to love away the insecurities that we all have? Song of Songs is God's retuning of the damage, the alienation, the fracture that was done in Genesis chapter 3, done to sex, done to sexuality, done to marriage. And if we want a great relationship, not a perfect one, but a great one, and we're going to discover later in the series, there's two different places where they have conflicts. We're going to talk about how to fight in a healthy relationship. Um, 
how to have not a perfect but a great relationship, it, begun, it begins with development of godly character. Godly character in me and a commitment to be the kind of person that helps grow and earn trust. Because it's more important to allow God to build into me to become the right person than to choose the right person. Let's pray together.